evidence and answers. Many question how we should view the Bible. Should we view it as a history book? Or does it explain things scientifically? How do we view science in the scriptures? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, listen as Pat interviews his guest, Dr. Leslie Wickman. Dr. Wickman is a NASA scientist and a firm believer in Jesus Christ. You won't want to miss any of this interview. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now with part one is our host, Pat Zucran. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith in Christ and biblical answers to today's challenges. Will our faith and science enemies, or are they allies? Can a Christian be serious about science and the Genesis creation account? Have recent discoveries in astronomy and space exploration affirmed or opposed faith in God? Here to address this issue today is former NASA scientist and corporate astronaut, Dr. Leslie Wickman. Dr. Wickman is a well-respected research scientist, engineering consultant, author, and even an inspirational speaker. She earned a master's degree in aeronautical and astronautical engineering and a doctoral degree in human factors and biomechanics from Stanford University. And for more than a decade, she was an engineer for Lockheed Martin Missiles in Space, where she worked on NASA's Hubble Telescope and International Space Station programs, receiving commendations from NASA for her contributions and being designated as Lockheed's corporate astronaut. Dr. Wickman now serves as the Executive Director of the American Scientific Affiliation, a nonprofit organization promoting the dialogue between science and faith. And she is author of a great book, God of the Big Bang. So, Leslie, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Oh, thanks very much. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Well, tell us briefly, Leslie, how you came to faith in Christ and your journey of understanding the relationship of faith and science as you began developing and growing in your scientific knowledge and understanding. Okay, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and you know, my father was an engineer and my mom was a dietitian and we went to church and Sunday school every weekend and you know grew up with the understanding that God was the source of all the the wonder uh, of creation and you know my dad had a telescope and we'd go out in the backyard and look at the stars and the moon and the planets and it was always with the understanding again that you know God was the source of all of this and it wasn't until I guess my first encounter with a non-believing scientist, a, what we call an atheist scientist, was in junior high school. And you know, I had a biology teacher who would go so far as to say, "You might as well just leave your faith at the door, because what we are going to talk about in this science class will almost certainly contradict." Uh, what you've learned in church and Sunday school. And so my, even to my little, you know, seventh grade mind, (laughs) that didn't make a lot of sense to me because I thought, well, you know, if God is the source of all of this wonder, then how can what we are learning through the study of his very creation contradict uh, the creator himself? And so 
that kind of set me on the path at a very early age to try to figure out how to reconcile these two areas. And, you know, looking back on that, you know, it was very uncomfortable at the time. It was just kind of this real tension for, for quite a while. But uh, looking back on that, I'm actually very grateful that, you know, God put that teacher in my life because it really did challenge me from an early age to get about this business of figuring out how the two fit together. Yeah, you know, Leslie, a lot of us really began to doubt the Genesis creation account and the existence of God. A lot of us can trace it back to our junior high biology class when the things that we were Mm -hmm. learning seem to directly contradict the Genesis account that the origin and diversity of life is just a matter of chance, a product of natural forces with really no divine guidance and actually a belief in the Genesis account is actually kind of mocked or ridiculed, whether directly or indirectly. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have a similar experience to that. But for me, you know, I, I kept digging. I kept reading different people's take on it. I read, read both the science side as well as the, you know, uh, Christian theology side of things. And and really, you know, I I keep going back to this idea that goes all the way back to Galileo, if not before, and, and that is that God is the author of two books, Scripture on the one hand and creation. Uh, on the other. And, you know, the trick is really in figuring out how those two books can be read together and, you know, contribute to a bigger picture of who God is and, you know, what the creation is all about. So if we, you know, if we start from that premise that God authored both scripture as well as creation, then the author of both of those is not going to contradict himself. And so, again, the key is in, in trying to figure out how they inform each other, and we can learn from both of those books of Revelation. No, as you state, yeah, you further did research, and that's what Christians got to do. They got to work hard to see the exactly. relationship and not be afraid of the sciences. I mean, if this is the world God created, then yeah. science is something Christians shouldn't be afraid of. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, again, the more research I did, the more study I did, the more I saw how there are these amazing connections and synergies that are just so improbable to have just come about by chance. And, you know, the the more I study, the more uh, my faith is affirmed. And that's really what I'm trying to share on this book, as well as, you know, uh, now working with the American Scientific Affiliation, really trying to get that message out to a broader audience, especially young people and people uh, in the church, that you can be both a, a faithful Christian as well as a good scientist. And, you know, one of the things I like to point out is that, you know, we Christians should really be the best scientists out there because we know the Creator. <laughs> we kind of have yes. an edge, you know, and we, we know a little bit about His, his uh, character and His wisdom and His goodness and all of those things. They're so richly revealed in what He's created. I mean, you know, this, this planet that we live on, is such that we don't just barely survive. We're able to flourish and thrive. I mean, it's easy to imagine, you know, especially with our space exploration, you look at, we're, you know, constantly these days looking for these um, 
you know, the other Earths or habitable planets or Goldilocks planets that, you know, might be suitable for life. But in every single case that we've seen so far, you know, they're nowhere near as friendly to life or as habitable as the Earth is. And you can imagine a, a planet where the temperature extremes were, are too great for life to exist anywhere. You can imagine a planet that is constantly enshrouded in clouds where you can't even imagine that you live in a universe full of stars and galaxies and other planets. You know, the, the planet that we live on is conducive to life flourishing and thriving and also exploring uh, the rest of God's creation. It's, it's quite remarkable. Like I say, the more you study, the more you see all these amazing synergies and little gifts, in fact, that God's uh, built in for us. Yes, Leslie, you know, many think that, you know, we've been conditioned to think that there's a conflict between science and religion. You know, why is that? How did this develop? Well, you know, it's, I think really it's, it's this illusion of conflict, and I think some of it comes people kind of getting in into a uh, theological rut, if you will, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I, I think, you know, it, it's kind of getting into this uh, view of scripture that the only way to interpret the whole of God's uh, revelation uh, in scripture is the way it's been traditionally interpreted. And I mean, for example, we, we got into that kind of rut when, you know, there's certain certain things that we read in scripture that are, are really intended to be more figurative or um, possibly a parable or something that is to be viewed from the surface of the earth and not literally where the, you know, the earth um, is, for example, you know, we talk, Scripture, Old Testament talks about, you know, the four corners of the earth. And, you know, we don't, we no longer think that that was, is a literal statement that, you know, the, the earth has four corners. And we know that we live on a, a spherical earth. We also know that the sun is the center of our solar system and, and not the earth. And there, those were some, you know, early and traditional interpretations of scripture that were never intended to be interpreted that way. And so when we get really dug into a particular interpretation and then new science comes along to say, well, okay, we didn't have that quite right. We need to be flexible enough to realize that, again, you know, God revealed himself in both books. You know, he revealed himself in his own creation, you know, spoken, spoken into existence by his word, as well as the scriptures that he inspired writers to pen. And I mean, some, some of the things that, you know, we're discovering now in the cutting edge of astronomy, things like dark energy and dark matter. I mean, can you even imagine if God had inspired the writers of scripture to literally talk about dark matter and, and dark energy and some of the other things that are very cutting edge uh, in physics today, you know, it, it would have just been nonsense and gibberish to the, the original readers of scripture. You know, it would have it would have sounded uh, almost spooky or scary, you know, and and irrelevant because nobody had the wherewithal to understand it, right? So in a similar way, I mean, I think we have to look at the primary message of Scripture being theological in that, you know, God is, is speaking that, you know, He 
he loved us and he created this world for us and you know that that he wanted relationship with us and, and really it's a, a message of um a creator who loved his creation and put humans at the pinnacle of creation and desires a uh, restored relationship with humans and you know and and then again like i say we have to look at both of his books of creation to see how one can inform the other and best be interpreted and and so i feel like it's really important for us as christians not to get too kind of dug into a particular understanding we've all got lots to learn still and first corinthians thirteen twelve is one of my favorite verses along these lines that say you know now we see through a, a glass darkly but then we shall see face to face then we shall be known even as we are known or then we shall know even as we are known and you know i know that that was really intended for our knowledge of god but i think our knowledge of god's creation falls into that same example or analogy if you will i think that you know we we don't know everything now and scripture tells us that you know we don't know everything and we see through a glass darkly and but at the same time we're invited to you know test everything and hold on to the good you know taste and see that the lord is good god is not threatened uh by our questions that we have you know and i think he kind of you know sometimes he probably sit back sits back and shakes his head if you will um at you know how maybe dug in on a particular way of looking things uh that we we have so anyway i, I like i said i i think god is is good and loving and kind and, and we can see that both from scripture as well as from the creation that he gave us Yes, Leslie, I think you bring up a great point that, you know, the Bible is not wrong, but our interpretation of it can be and can be refined or even corrected. And so when there seems to be a conflict between general revelation and special revelation or the Bible and science, we need to look at both, Exactly. you know, see how strong the scientific evidence is. Maybe the interpretation of the scientific evidence is wrong and that needs to be examined. Or our interpretation of the scripture might need to be corrected. Not the Bible, but our interpretation of it. So you're saying we need to come with humility, both the scientist and the theologian. Amen. Amen. If if we had more humility in this whole dialogue, we'd all be a a lot better off. Um, You know, yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, I mean, um, when I'm, I'm teaching students in particular, I, I talk about, you know, if we, we have, you know, if we look at both science and theology as a pursuit of truth by humans, then, you know, the truth on the side of uh, science's pursuit of truth about nature and theologians' pursuit of truth about God, truth can't contradict truth. So those truths ultimately have to be in accord with each other. And it's simply our methods of attaining that truth that we need to really look closely at. You know, like you say, we we have incomplete knowledge and imperfect understanding and imperfect interpretation on both sides. And we just, I mean, some of the time we're, we we just don't have enough information at this point to show how they all fit together. But I mean, to me, again, it's that the faith that, you know, God is the author of both scripture 
and creation that I keep coming back to and saying, well, there has to be an explanation. We might not have it yet, but let's keep looking for it. Let's keep looking to see how these two books inform each other. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, Leslie, many argue that science and faith are mutually exclusive because science deals with what can be empirically verified while spiritual matters cannot. And so many feel that scientific proof trumps any kind of spiritual or biblical kind of of evidence. But how do the two work together here? And does science triumph what the Bible teaches? Well, you know, I mean, there there are a bunch of different ways that we can look at this, that, that question in and of itself. But I think one thing that we need to go back to it initially is just to look at the scientific method uh, for what it is. You know, the scientific method basically tries to look at the evidence that we have so far and come up with the best explanation just given the evidence that we have. And and basically, that's it's an inductive process. In other words, we're collecting evidence to that, that would either support or go against a particular hypothesis. And so we're never making an open and shut case with science because it's an inductive process. So really, it's not even correct to say it's been scientifically proven that blah, blah, blah. It's, it's never correct to, to say that science has proven anything because, um, again, as an inductive me- method, all it's doing really is piling up evidence that either supports or uh, negates a particular hypothesis or theory. So we can say that a, a theory is, is gaining evidence and has a greater probability of being correct, the correct explanation, but the scientific method itself holds on to these theories uh, and hypotheses and the evidence with open hands if, if practiced properly, because we know that new evidence could turn up tomorrow that would say, you know what, that explanation wasn't quite right. We're going to need to go back and you know, revise these things. And, and we've been sent back to the drawing board time after time. I mean, we look at the, you know, again, the, the geocentric view of the solar system that said, you know, the Earth was the center of the solar system. And, you know, that that idea persisted um, for, you know, a couple of millennia at least. <laughs> and And then, you know, we, when Galileo came along about the time of the Renaissance and started using the telescope to look at the heavens and was able to collect more data that seemed to point that that no the earth is actually moving around the sun that was a hard sell <laughs> you know and you look back at the you know galileo's um uh interaction with the church and of that day and you know he was he was under house arrest because of his views were you know which were perceived to contradict with the the current interpretation of scripture and and so you know when when more and more evidence was accumulated that no it really does seem like uh the sun is the center and the earth moves around it we had to you know kind of scrap that theory go back to the di- di- uh, to the um the drawing board and 
come up with something that fit the evidence better. And, and each time something like that happens, I mean, the same thing happened with the Newtonian explanation of gravity. You know, Einstein came along and, you know, said, actually, you know, big masses bend space, you know, and, and, you know, so there are constantly these paradigm shifts that happen in science. You know, same thing with quantum physics, you know, our understanding of subatomic particles and all these things. They're kind of paradigm shifts where a new evidence shows up that says, no, you weren't quite right there. So, again, a good scientist and, you know, scientists, science properly practiced leaves the door open to new evidence. And so that that in itself should encourage humility in the scientific community. And, you know, likewise in the, in the church, I think we can take a page from that and say, look, you know, let's not have another Galileo trial on our hands, right? And actually this kind of leads into, you know, looking into the future in terms of some of the latest uh, hypotheses that modern science is proposing on for example, the multiverse hypothesis. And, you know, that's the idea that, you know, maybe we live in just one of a large or infinite number of parallel universes. And maybe, you know, ours is the only one to have gotten all the numbers just exactly right so that life can exist. And, you know, it's like, okay, right now, we don't really have any evidence of that. There have been some, like I say, proposed um, theories that, that uh, would say, oh, you know, the ripples that we see in the space-time continuum of, of the universe are possibly could be interpreted as evidence that, you know, we're colliding with adjacent universes. But that's pretty speculative at this point. And even, you know, Stephen Hawking and some of the others who are talking about this would admit that that's very speculative. But, you know, let's not get, let's not drag our feet and say that science is the enemy and is trying to disprove God, because first of all, the scientific method cannot disprove the existence of, of God. I mean, it's impossible for science to disprove the existence of anything. And we can get into that a little bit more later, but, but let's not get behind the eight ball here and say, oh, well, you know, if, if, it, if more evidence for the multiverse hypothesis comes along, then that's going to shake our faith. Because, you know, the more I, I learn about God and his, his creation and whatnot, the more evidence I see for a loving and kind and gracious creator. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, bring on the multiverse, bring on the latest theories of science. My God is big enough to stand up to them all. Yeah, Leslie, expound on that a little bit when you said science cannot disprove God. Tell us a little bit about okay. that. Well, okay, I mean, again, we, we kind of need to look at uh, what science is and what the scientific method is. Again, like I said, it it's not capable of making a open and shut deductively proven case for anything. We're just looking, like I say, it's an inductive process, looking for the best explanation given the evidence that we have so far. So bearing that in mind, it's basically impossible to prove the non-existence of anything. I mean, if you think about it, just from the standpoint of logic, you know, to prove, let's just say that we're trying to prove that unicorns don't exist. Okay. In order to prove that unicorn, we we could say that we don't have any evidence that unicorns exist, but 
to actually prove that unicorns don't exist, you would have to be able to look everywhere, everywhere possible, simultaneously, you know, and, and that's, first of all, that's impossible to do, right? You cannot look everywhere constantly, right? I mean, just imagine from a very simplistic standpoint, you know, that somebody's trying to hide this one and only unicorn from you, right? That'd be pretty easy to do if you were searching for the, the one and only universe in, in or sorry, one, the one and only unicorn in, let's say, a multiverse of universes, right? Yeah. I mean, you can you can kind of take it to an, a ridiculous extreme. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, State Farm Agent Sue Ann Liu, for all your insurance needs, home, auto, or life. Contact SueAnnLiu.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. <laughs>